بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم یا من تحل به یقد المکاره و یا من یفتو به حد الشدائه و یا من یلتمس منه المخرج الى روح الفرد اعوذ بالله من الشیطان الرجیم بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم الحمد لله وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله and welcome to this podcast series of a commentary on الصحيفة السجادية by Mizan Institute Inshallah with the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his blessing we will begin this commentary on this very very famous book that we will find in every household of the Shia on every bookshelf in the homes of the Shia a book that we all have, but at the same time, usually we are not very familiar with and we don't spend too much time with. And so, inshallah, this series will be a good excuse for us to get to know this book better and the du'as in it and benefit from all of that. Before we begin um, the actual series, as an introduction, in this session what we want to do is we want to discuss some of the discussions that we have regarding the authenticity of this book, there are some observations slash reservations in regards to its authenticity. I don't want to get too technical, but at the same time, I do want to point out a few things. And, and after that, we want to discuss what our great ulama and scholars have said in regards to this great book. Because at the end of the day, after all is said and done, after all the technical discussions have taken place, we are ones who follow the lead of our great ulama. Not one, two, three, or four of them, but when we see the majority, if not all of them are pushing us in a certain direction, and there is somewhat of a consensus on a matter, we will follow their lead for sure. And so I would uh, really like to, towards the end of, uh, after, excuse me, after we go through these technical discussions, I want to also share with you some of the words of our greats in regards to this wonderful book. So let us begin with a little conversation on the Sanad of this book. Just like any other book that we have in front of us that is bound and has a cover, has pages in it, this book that's in front of us didn't start out like this. Where did it come from? So the publishers have published this book that we have, but of course, usually these books will go back to uh, these, these classical books at least, will go back to a manuscript or manuscripts that are out there that in turn originated from the sayings of someone, the dictations of someone. Someone penned something, authored something, or said something that was recorded and was transcribed and distributed amongst the people. Sahifa Sajjadiyah is no exception to this. There is a little difference though between Sahifa Sajjadiya in our classical works and other classical works that we have, Islamic literature that we have. And that is that, let's take Nahj al-Balagha for example. Nahj al-Balagha is also a book. The thing is that this book we all know is a compilation of many other reports, accounts, hadiths and narrations by Imam Ali salam. Khutbas, sayings, letters, etc. Where did all of this come from? Where did each of these reports come from? Well, each of these reports, everyone knows, it's not like they all, Imam Ali sat there and wrote all of them and compiled Nahj al-Balagha. Contrary to what some 
people, which are probably a minority, might believe that Imam Ali wrote Nahj al-Balagha himself. No, that's not the case, obviously. There are different reports, different accounts, different hadiths, different letters that are in there. Each of these is assessed separately and gauged when it comes to its authenticity based on the standards that we have, the guidelines that we have, the rules that we have in regards to assessing and grading reports that we have from the time of Imam Ali, for example, for the time of the Imams and the Holy Prophet So for example, in Nahj al-Balagha, one sermon might have a stronger chain of narrators, another one might have a weaker one. The book in its entirety is not like a Sahih book that Ahlul Sunnah have, where they might have this approach regarding their hadith books like Sahih al-Bukhari, where they say that yeah, everything in it is Sahih. We don't have such a thing. Um, famous. This is a famous thing that the Shia, we don't have a book that in which we say all the hadiths in it are authentic, reliable, and at the highest standards. Not necessarily. Each report is going to be verified, is going to be assessed, Separately. Now, this what I'm saying is according to the mainstream Usuli school that we have. Uh, there might be some exceptions to this rule. They are not necessarily the majority. The, some might argue the Akhbaris. Some Akhbaris don't look at our hadith books like this, our main hadith books. They will look at it also like a Sahih books where they'll say everything in it is Sahih. But all in all, the point I'm trying to make is that it's this right now, the mainstream view or the majority believe that no, even in a book like Usul al-Kafi, which is our main hadith book, that the hadiths in it have to be assessed separately. Okay, so having said all of that, let's move to As-Sahif al-Sajjadiyyah. I gave the example of Nahj al-Balagha, I mentioned Usul al-Kafi. These are all books with many different reports in them that are looked at separately, as I said. But with Sahif al-Sajjadiyyah, there's a little bit of a difference. Because the book in its entirety is dealt with as one long report, one long hadith, let's say. Okay, I'm, I'm using these terms loosely, of course. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that this book was transmitted in its entirety. The book itself has a chain of narrators. Unlike Usul al-Kafi, unlike Nahj al-Balagha, each sermon has its own chain of narrators. And it's looked at differently, separately and assessed uh, independently. Each of them are looked at differently and, and assessed separately. But when it comes to, uh, to Sahifa Sajjadiyah, that's not the case. When we look at Sahifa Sajjadiyah, it's not like one dua has a certain chain of narrators, another dua has another chain of narrators, and so on and so forth. And each of these are looked at separately and independently. No. The book in its entirety is seen as one unit. Because that's how it has been transmitted. That's how it has been claimed that it has been sent down and reached us eventually. So in a sense, it makes our job easier. Each of these du'as is not looked at separately and assessed separately. No, the whole book comes to is looked at as one unit, as I said. The downside to this, though, is that if a person has an issue with the chain of narrators of this book in its entirety, then the whole book is going to be questionable for them. Now, I just say this, theoretically speaking, of course, as I said, we will eventually see what our ulama say about this book and how great a book this is in their eyes. I have not come across one grand scholar who will question it seriously. 
this book. But we'll get to that. Some of the narrators have been questioned. Well, we'll get to some of those details in a little bit. So let's go and look at the discussion of the Sanad of this book. I don't want to get too technical, as I said, but some of the points that I want to mention in regards to this Sanad. So there are some who believe that the Sanad of this book reaches Tawatur. The Sahifa Sajjadiyya is a Mutawatir book. What does that mean? Mutawatir means when a report reaches you by so many people that you are sure, you become sure that this was actually said by the Holy Prophet let's say. It's impossible for this many people to have come together and conspired to make something up like this. It is impossible for so many people to make, to be mistaken by the, about the same matter. No, it's impossible. Especially if these people lived in different parts of the world, different lands, and so on. So I want to give an example from Mutawatir, one that we are, most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with, and that is the famous hadith of At-Thaqalayn, that the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, إِنِّي تَارِكٌ فِيكُمُ الثَّقْلَيْنِ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَعِتْرَةِ أَهْلِ بَيْتِ That the Holy Prophet said, I'm leaving behind 280 things, the Qur'an and my Ahlul Bayt Alright, so we all know, and the whole Muslim Ummah knows, that these are words that were actually uttered by the Holy Prophet. How do we know? Because there's so many different people who narrated this to the point that we are sure that they didn't all come together to make this up. They didn't all come together or may, or be mistaken when it comes to this hadith. No, it's impossible. Now, this is going to be a subjective matter. It's not like we say, okay, you know, if it reaches 10 people, the sanad, if it reaches 10 people, then that means it's mutawatir. If it's nine, it doesn't count. Ten onwards counts. No. It really is a subjective matter. There's no hadith or verse of the Qur'an that tells us a hadith is mutawatir when it reaches this number this number of narrators. No. It's subjective and usually it has to be a significant amount. And there will be other little things that factor into something being mutawatir as well. I don't want to get into all of that right now. So that is the understanding of what a mutawatir hadith is. Is something that everyone agrees on. Now, some have said that the Sahifa Sajjadiyya is also mutawatir. Why? Because so many people have actually narrated this, have transmitted this, and taught this book to others. And so we are sure, like this, we're talking hundreds, if not thousands. So, of course, it's going to be mutawatir. Now, uh, they say that this is something that one of the two majlises, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the first majlisi, the father. Now, if this is to be the case, and Sahifa Sajjadiyya is a mutawatir book, what that means is that we don't even need to look at the chain of narrators, the sanad of this book, who narrated from who, from narr- who, narr- who narrated from who. No, no, no. There's no point in that. Because we're 100% sure there's so many people narrating it. We don't even need to talk about sanads anymore. We don't need to talk about authenticity anymore because we are 100% sure that it has been said. Think about it. A thousand people come to you from different cities and they're all saying the same thing. Like they're saying, they're telling you that we saw like this in the sky. So we saw something in the sky. So and so got elected. Such and such natural phenomenon took place. Like if a thousand people come and tell you, you become sure. 
Because you know, like these, these people all couldn't get together and make up just one big lie, especially if it doesn't serve their own interests. Okay? These are just examples I'm giving here. There's no need to go and look at, okay, is this person reliable? Is this person reliable? And ascertain that all thousand people are reliable. No. Even if all thousand of them are normal people, that you don't even know who they are, let's say. But when you have a thousand different people coming and telling you the same thing, then you become sure that, okay, this is this can't be made up. Let's say, for example, you're walking into a store and then a hundred people that are coming out of the store, they're telling you, hey, be careful, there's something going on inside. You know, someone has a gun or something. Well, after a while, you become sure. If only one person tells you, you might take precaution, but can you swear that they're, you know, necessarily telling the truth? No. But if a hundred different people that you can tell are not related to each other, don't even know each other, they're coming out of the store and they're like, hey, there's something going down inside. You're going to stay outside probably because you become sure that they're telling the truth. All right. So those are just examples. So we get an idea of what a mutawatir hadith looks like and how we don't need to ascertain the reliability of each of those who are narrating it. Now, the claim is that Sahifa Sajjadiyah is the same thing. It is mutawatir. Why? So many have narrated it and that is true. There are so many people, and we'll get to this later maybe, that have actually transmitted this book to us. But the question is this, what is your exact definition of mutawatir? Does it mean that in this chain of narrators that might have, let's say, 10 links, even if one of those links or several of those links has many people in it, that is enough or no? Do all of the links have to have many people in them? Now I'm using the term link here. The Arabic or the technical term for this is tabaqa. When we have a chain of narrators, there will be different tabaqat in this chain. Each tabaqa, each stage or level of this narration, of this chain of narrators, is it, 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 it plays a role in the hadith being a mutawatir one or not. So let me explain. Let's say we have 10 links in a chain of narrators. Actually, you know what? Let's just say three, okay? Just to make it easier. We have three levels, three stages, three links, three tabaqat in a chain of narrators. So we have an imam. Person A is narrating from this imam. Person B narrating from person A. Person C narrating from person B. Okay? These are different tabaqat, they'll say, that are narrating from each other. This Sanad, this chain of narrators has three levels or stages. That's the word that I've noticed they use as equivalents for tabaqa. Some might say generations. All right. There are three different generations that are narrating from each other. Okay. Person A, of course, is going to be older than person B because he's teaching person B. He's narrating to person B. Person C usually is going to be younger than person B. So these are usually different generations of narrators. But I'm not going to use the word generation. I'm just going to use level or stage because that's what they've used as an equivalent for tabaqa. And when I say generation, I'm using it loosely. So I don't want to use that too much. Okay. So imam, person A narrates from imam, person B narrates from person A, and person C from B. Okay, so this chain has three tabaqas in it. Question. When we say a hadith is mutawatir, Meaning it is such that I become 100% sure that this was said by the imam. Does that mean one or two out of these three stages, these three tabaqat, 
have to have so many people such that I become certain? Or no, all of the tabaqat, all of those links have to be a high number to the point where I become certain. So I'll give you an example. And I think we can all agree where it's going to be reasonable for us and justified for us to achieve certainty and where it won't be justified for us to achieve certainty. So let's say, Imam says something. Okay, The Imam narrates a hadith, says something. Person A hears from person from Imam. So person A now has is carrying a knowledge he has attained from the Imam. He narrates this to person B. Okay? Person B narrates to person C. C isn't just one person though. C has D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, all the way to Z. There's a bunch of people in this C level. Okay? So A is one person. B is one person. And then level C is full of people. 40 people. Brothers and sisters, can these 40 come and tell me that B said this and A said this and who is narrating that the Imam said this? Can I come to the conclusion that the Imam necessarily said that? Just because 40 people now, a hundred people now are coming and telling me this. I think that the answer is very clear. No, I'm not going to become 100% sure that the Imam said it. What am I going to become sure about? I'm going to become sure that B told all these people something. But B is only one person who is narrating from A that is also one person who is narrating from the Imam. So a chain is as strong as its weakest link, or in this case, as strong as its weakest tabaka. Even if level C has 40 people, level B has 40 people, but A is only one person, still we have the same issue. I can't become 100% sure. So, mutawatir is if all of the tabaqat are such that I become certain because of the high number. So A, level A has to be like 40 people itself who are telling 40 people who are telling 40 people. 40 people who are telling 60 people who are telling 80 people. It has to be something like that. It can't just be 40 people heard from the imam, they all told level B, which is only one person, and then level B told 100 people. Still, 40, 1, and then 100 isn't going to cut it either. Because that one person in the middle is the weakest link. And this this is how this hadith will become will not be mutawatir. Because it's only one person narrating from 40 people. Although this person, this one person is narrating from 40 people to 100 people. And those 100 people are telling us. But still, you have one of these tabaqat, one of these levels or stages of the chain of narrators is only one person. That is going to also cause a problem. And this is reasonable. It's not like we have Quran or Hadith for this matter. This is a normal, uqala'i, reasonable matter that everyone understands. Alright, so therefore, 40 people, if they heard from the Imam, they need to tell another like 40-50 people. Those 40-50 people have to tell another 40-50 people. And of course, these numbers I'm using are just examples. That is going to be mutawatir. That is something that we're going to be gaining 100% certainty from. Other than that, we got a problem. So now, question. Going back to as sahifa Sajjadiyah, 
Saifa Sajjadiyah, does it have such a thing or not? Does it have so many people in all of its tabaqat or no? There will be a lot of people narrating it. But those, let's say, thousand people that are narrating it, they're narrating it from, let's say, a hundred people who are narrating it from five people who are narrating it from one person who's narrating it from the imam. In the case of As-Sahifa Sajjadiyah, what we find is the latter, unfortunately. And so this idea of, oh, we don't need to look at the uh, chain of narrators of this book because it is mutawatir, this argument is going to be very flawed. Because we'll get to the story, inshallah, in our next session, when we're reading the story of Sahifa Sajjadiyah and how it was transmitted, you'll find that at the beginning of the chain of its narrators, you don't have 40 people, 50 people, 28 people, 100 people. You only have one or two people maybe. That's about it. Okay. And as a matter of fact, it's only one person telling the story. Okay. So even if that one person tells all the people of the world and all of the people of the world tell us, we have to understand that part of this sanad, part of this chain of narrators did not reach that threshold of tawatur, which renders the entire chain of narrators a non-mutawatir chain of narrators. I apologize if we got a little too technical or you know, it got a little confusing. Hopefully, uh, it was as, simpli- as simplified as I could make it and at the same time, something that people can understand. All right, having said all of that, so this argument of, oh, it's an, this book, we don't even have to worry about its authenticity because of its being mutawatir, this argument is not going to cut it. Some will say, no, no, we don't believe in it being mutawatir necessarily because there's only one person at the beginning of the chain although nowadays or even not let's just not not even say nowadays maybe 400 years later after Sahifa Sajjadiyah was initially transmitted thousands of people were transmitting it to each other although that is the case but because the beginning of the chain is only one person it's not mutawatir for us but we know that this is something that came from an imam and the namely Imam al-Sajjad alayhi salam. Why? What is your argument? They will say that, look, the loftiness and the eloquence of the du'as are enough to prove that they are from Imam al-Sajjad alayhi salam. Now this is something that you will find in uh, Hawza circles and discussions. That sometimes the madhmoon, the content of a report, of a du'a, of a letter, of a sermon, is so high and lofty that you're like, you know what? It's only an infallible that could have said such a thing. It's impossible for normal people to say such a thing. Now, sometimes it's like a one-liner. That might be a little harder. Um, But then you have a whole book of du'as like this one. And you look at the whole book, you're like, come on. It's not possible for normal people to come up with something like this. And so they say, look, this is our reason for this book being a book we are sure originated from the mouth of an infallible being, namely Imam al-Sajjad Now who of the ulama believes in such a thing, we'll get to later inshallah when I'm sharing with you what they have said in regards to as-Sahifa Sajjadiyya. But for now, I'm just we're talking about theory. So there are some who have this belief. Well then some will come out and say, no, that we don't agree with that either. We have a problem there as well. And so um, just because something is very lofty, very eloquent, doesn't mean necessarily that it was something that can only have been said by an infallible. 
Albeit, the only exception that will be made is the Qur'an itself. The Qur'an itself is going to be a different story. They'll say that over there we'll find that the eloquence slash the loftiness is one of the main reasons for it being a miracle. A miracle. And uh, we know because of that that it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Especially the fact that the Qur'an itself challenges the people to come up with something like it. Okay, so that is something that we are 100% sure about. Other than that, we're not 100% sure. Alright, so that is something else that we have. Another argument. Now, this argument is more of a subjective one, um, and it's going to be one that isn't going to be refuted the way the mutawatir one was refuted, because the mutawatir one, we have a clear-cut definition, a clear-cut definition for it. And that is that each of the tabaqat has to have enough people for us to reach certainty. Although the number is subjective, but we know that there has to be, for sure, a high number in each of those tabaqat. Okay? So that one is clear-cut. So once you don't fit that description of mutawatir, that argument goes out the window. But this one, the one about loftiness and eloquence, all in all, it's going to be a subjective one, and some will agree, some will disagree. But all of these will be a good clue and hint at least that uh, I don't want to say hint I don't I, a strong clue that okay there there it's very unlikely at least that someone other than an imam said all of this all of these duas all right let's move on though if none of these work then it, we ha- we do have to look at the chain of narrators if none of those arguments hold for an individual we have to look at the chain of the narrators of this book and I'm going to be quite honest with all of you, brothers and sisters. The chain of narrators of the book, according to some like Ayatollah al-Khui and others, there are people in the chain that we're not 100% sure about. And so the chain of narrators, going by the standards of Rijal, Ilm al-Rijal, and the science of narrators of Hadith and their biographies and their, uh, and their reliability, According to those standards, this chain of narrators doesn't meet those standards. Alright, so what are we left with, brothers and sisters? We are left with a book that is, when we look at it, is so great. At the end of the day, it has been narrated by so many scholars and narrators, although it's not mutawatir, but it is a book that they have all accepted. It is very hard to turn a blind eye to all of this. This is something that I want to actually elaborate on a little bit. There's a point in all of this. The idea that it's not mutawatir. The idea that the eloquence slash loftiness not necessarily is going to prove that it's super authentic. And the fact that the chain of narrators does have issues. I want to make, I want to draw a conclusion from this. That the fact that we have all of this. But at the same time, when we look throughout the 1,000 plus years of scholarship of the Shi'i ulama, what we find is that they have, I don't know, all I can say maybe, accepted this book. Now, they will say that because it doesn't meet the standards of Rijal, we can't use it when it comes to the fiqh and the do's and don'ts of Islam and to deem something haram or halal based on it only. Yes, but at the same time, they say, look, this book for sure is one of the greatest sources of knowledge and spirituality of Islam to the point that even Sunni scholars have praised it. And we'll get to a story regarding that as well. So now I want to get to what these some of these ulama have said. These are ulama 
of different times, different eras, different approaches, different ways of looking at things, but they all come together when it comes to As-Sahifa Sajjadiya. As I said, a book like Nahj al-Balagha won't have this. Why? In the, the way that Sahifa does. Why? Because Nahj al-Balagha is a compilation of separate reports, separate letters and sermons and hadith and so on. And so, although it is given a lot of importance by our ulama, at the same time, they might have different opinions on some of the hadiths that are there, some of the letters, some of the uh, khutbahs that are there. I personally have seen there's discussions on different sermons that if, um, if they are actually from Imam Ali or not. So there are different opinions on those. All in all, Nahj al-Balagha, of course, is accepted as one of the main books that we have as Shia. But all in all, it does have those observations slash reservations regarding different reports that are in it. But Sahifa, on the other hand, what you find is that you won't find scholars pointing out that, yeah, like this one dua, we're not, we're not sure about this one, but the rest we're, we're cool with. No. What you find is that they will take it in its entirety and they will respect it in its entirety, something higher than even what you find towards Najul Balagha, as I said. So it's different. It's very, for me, it was very fascinating looking into all of this, how our scholars accept this book as one of our main sources, although we have these issues with the Senate of it. Because at the end of the day, if you were to cut up this book into um, the, the, the different du'as that are there, and then each du'a, cut it up into the different separate sentences, if you go and look for something else in the Qur'an, in our hadith corpus, other than what these du'as have, that will corroborate and echo what these different lines and sentences of this du'a are saying, you'll find something similar in the Qur'an, in our hadiths. And this is something that some ulama have pointed out. That just because you're not able to prove something through the sanad only, doesn't mean you have to cast it aside. On the contrary, when we look at the du'as of Sahifa, they are in reality echoing what the Qur'an is saying, echoing what our hadith corpus is saying. And all you find in there is the teachings, those pure, rich teachings of Islam. In other words, you don't find anything crazy in this where you're just like, wait a minute, where'd this come from? Like This is something that you don't find anywhere else. This is something new. This is an isolated matter. No, you don't find anything like that in it. Inshallah, we'll see as we go through the different du'as of this book. Um, and there's a reason why our scholars have paid so much attention to this book. And that brings me to some of these scholars and what they have said. Um, this is just a random list of, of sayings that we have and different uh, opinions and ideas we have from our scholars. It's not a comprehensive one by no means. By no means at all. At all. What, what I can say is that all the way back to Shaykh Tusi and before him, you'll find that all of the scholars have spoken about this book, okay? But I just wanted to bring some of the more later scholars um, so that you know, it's something that we can also relate to, kind of. So I'll start with Wahid Bahbahani. Um, when he's speaking about hadiths whose content is enough for us to be able to tell that this is something that the Imam said, when he's speaking about that idea that I, that I mentioned before, his example, one of the examples at least, is that, uh, is that of Sahifa Sajjadiya. He says, look, when we look at this book, that's enough for us to know that this is something the Imam said. So he's from that camp. 
the ones that say the loftiness or the eloquence is enough. As Sayyid al-Burujirdi also falls into that category. The great, great Ayatollah al-Burujirdi, who in his time was the one and only um, marja that the entire Shia world or the majority of the Shia world would go to and refer to, he says the following. He says, وَلَا يَخْفَى أَنَّ كَوْنَ الصَّحِيفَ مِنَ الْإِمَامِ مِنَ الْبَدِيهِيَّاتِ He says this is one of those matters that is of the badihiyat. It is evident, it's clear, it's axiomatic. There's no argument there, there's no discussion there. Don't even try to discuss with me that this is from Imam al-Sajjad Muhammad. This is the book, uh, this is the, the, the Psalms of Ali Muhammad. This book. Yashhadu bidalik, my reason for this? Yashhadu bidalik, uslubuha, nadmuha, madaminuha. The way this book is, the the way it's organized and written, the way the, the content, those lofty ideas that you find in it, all of these are a good reason for why we know this is from Imam al-Sajjad, he says. Now the, this the, the lofty content within it. That you can say, you can sense miraculousness from. So it's not just any book. He feels that this is borderline miracle. Okay, so that's Ayatollah Burujerdi's understanding of this matter. Now Ayatollah Burujerdi, of course, he is someone who is, <laughs> he is one of those who wrote a whole collection on hadiths by the name of Jamu'a Hadith Shia. A huge collection. This is a person that is very familiar with hadiths and how it works. Wahid Bahbahani that I mentioned, he's a guy that went against the akhbaris of his time and he's, so he's very strict when it comes to these matters. But he's also saying that, you know, the content proves that this is from Imam al-Sajjad. Let's move on. Uh, Ayatullah Mar'ashi Najafi, also very famous. Now this is where I want to share with you a story that he has uh, with a Sunni scholar it says in the year 1353 AH, so that's going to be about almost 100 years ago, um, like about 90-ish years ago, um, you know, from the time that this recording is being recorded. We're in 1444 right now. It says that he sent a copy of a sahif al-Sajjadiyah to the grand scholar al-Tantawi, he sent this to Cairo. He's from so Tantawi is from Al Azhar, and so Tantawi, who is a mufassir, who is a one who is an author and he's a grand scholar, he writes back to Ayatollah Marashi Najafi. He says that your letter reached me, um, that which came along with this book of Sahifa Sajadiya, which are the words of the Zahid Imam. Ali Zainul Abidin Ibn Imam Ibn Imam al Hussein al Shahid. I have received this letter that came with this book that you sent me. Rayhanatul Mustafa. So all of these are attributes of Imam Hussein, who Imam Zainul Abidin is the Alayhi Salam is the son of. He says, This book, I received it with honor, and I found it to be a unique book that contains teachings and ulum and ma'arif and knowledge and wisdom that you will not find elsewhere. And he says this is so bad that us, Ahl-Sunnah, have not heard of such a work from before and that we are deprived of such a rich um, legacy of Nubuwa and of the Ahlul Bayt, alayhi wasalam. 
this legacy, this heritage of the Imam of the uh, Imam Sajjad salam, this heritage of Nubuwa and prophethood and Imam. He says it's unfortunate that we don't have access to this, that we didn't know about this. And then it says it goes on to say that as I read this book, what I can see is that this this work, this writing, these words are not words of the creation. These are higher than the normal words of creation. But at the same time, they are under the words of the Creator, meaning the Qur'an. So this book is not a normal book, but it's not that high where it is going to be up to par to the Qur'an. And of course, no one claims such a thing. So that is beautiful. This is from Tantawi, and it's a famous story. You'll find, you can easily find this uh, story online even. A few others who uh, don't believe that we need to um, assess this book's chain of narrators there are people like Sayyid Ali Khan Shirazi who has maybe the most famous commentary on that, uh, on Sahifa Sajjadiyah by the name of Riyadh al-Salikin. That's a very famous commentary. If, uh, if Nahj al-Balagha has the commentary of Ibn Abil Hadid and that's like the most famous commentary, then the most famous commentary of Sahifa Sajjadiyah is going to be Riyadh al-Salikin by Sayyid Ali Khan Shirazi. So this individual also, he says, we don't need to even do a Sanadi analysis. Sayyid Muhsin al-Amin the one who wrote the grand work of Ayyan al-Shia, he also says the same thing. Imam Khomeini, uh, he says, what, uh, when he's speaking of this book, now he's speaking it in the context of fiqh, he says that, yes, the chain of narrators isn't going to be a strong one, but He speaks about these things. He says the content, the eloquence of it, all of this, that it gives us this certainty that uh, this was actually said by the Imam. This was issued by Imam al-Sajjad He does say one thing though. He says, He says, for me, it's not going to be such that I'm 100% sure that every single word of it is accurate. Yes, but he does say that, look, I know all in all that this book goes back to him. The reason why he says word for word or line for line for me isn't established, he wants to draw a conclusion from this. He says, biha fil fiqh. He says, I can't use this in fiqh the way I can use other hadiths that have uh, an authentic chain of narrators. He says, I can't use it. So he's saying if he has a reservation on this book, it is only because he can't use it, he says, for fiqh. But all in all, he says, no, I believe that this book, I have certainty that this book is from him. To the point that he also, he's also famously known to have said regarding Sahifa Sajjadiyah, he said, he calls it the Al-Quran Al-Sa'id, the Quran, the ascending Quran. And there's a little explanation that I need to give here. Ascending Qur'an, meaning what? Meaning that, look, there's one Qur'an, so to speak, that, well, not so to speak, actually, there is one Qur'an that was sent down, that descended from Allah unto us. But there's also a Qur'an-like book, which is Sahifa Sajjadiyah, that is a Qur'an al-Sa'id. It is a Qur'an that is ascending from creation to Allah. And that is Sahifa Sajjadiyah. The du'as, in general, are things that ascend from us to Allah, connect us to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? And of course, Sayyifah Sajjadiyah will be at the top of that list of du'as. And so it is going to be the ascending Qur'an, he calls it. 
It's a beautiful way of uh, describing this Sahifa Sajjadiyya. The Qur'an part shows that it is above mankind's word, but the fact that it's ascending and not descending shows that it is below the word of God, which is the Qur'an. Okay, So these are some of those individuals that have said that, look, the Sanad you know, might be a problem, but we don't care about that part. It's obvious that this book um, goes back to the Imam. Who else do we have? Ayatollah Hassan Zada Amuli. That famous Arif, he says, Sahifa needs to be a textbook in the houses. It needs to be taught in the seminaries as a book that you study, not that just, just one that you recite. We need to see how much we can extract from this book of our beliefs, of rich teachings of Islam. So that's also a beautiful way to look at it. <laughs> he believed that it should be a textbook of the houses. Ayatollah Ja'far Subhani, another famous contemporary scholar who is alive today, he says that this book is absolutely a divine school for us, that we learn akhlaq from, social matters from, politics from, these kinds of things we learn uh, from this book. That uh, Sayyidina Sajidin has uh, taught us through inspiration from his forefathers and from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ayatollah Makarim, he also says, he says that if there's no reason, this is interesting, he says if there's no reason to prove that the school of the Ahl bayt is the true school of Islam, Nahjul Balagha and Sahifa Sajjadiyya, these two are the best reasons to prove such. So, brothers and sisters, you tell me, these ulama, are they worried about the chain of this book necessarily causing an issue? No, absolutely not. Ayatollah Makaram, he goes on and he says, this precious book after the Qur'an, Nahjul Balagha, is the most important book and treasure of the teachings of the Ahl al-Bayt that we have. He says, the great ulama scholars, they would give it a lot of importance to the point that, and he says, I say this without exaggeration, thousands of great scholars have mentioned this book in their ijazat as well. Those things they have permission to narrate hadiths for. So Sahifa is one of those things they take pride in that they have ijazah and permission from their teachers to narrate and transmit to future generations. Thousands, he says. He says this book is referred to as the Zabur of Ali Muhammad, the Psalms of Ali Muhammad to the point that we can't find even one similar dua to the duas of this book in other schools of thought. And finally, Ayatollah Jawadi Amuli, he says, you can't be a Hawza student, you can't be a seminarian, a sheikh, a person who's wearing the amama, the turban. You can't be this type of person, but not be holding this book. Now, holding this book meaning that you're familiar with it, that you're an expert in it, not that you have to always be holding it in your hand, of course. He says, if you're that type of person and you're not acquainted with this book, you're not an expert in this book, you're not reading this book, then this is a big loss for you. So these, this, these are our scholars, some of our scholars, some of which who split hairs when it comes to matters of naqliyat and the transmitted words of the Ahl al-Bayt this, These are strict individuals when it comes to these matters, but when it comes to Sahif al-Sajjadiyya, everyone puts their hands up and they say, we have nothing to say 
about this book except that it is one of our most important sources to the point that we have hundreds if not thousands of manuscripts for, for this book throughout history the scholars of Islam have transmitted it and all the ijazat and permissions that they have in regards to it so that is just I wanted to give all of you a a little bit just scratch the surface in regards to the different discussions we have in regards to this book on one hand of course the sanad has those issues but on the other hand these are some of our scholars just uh, the tip of the iceberg really of the scholars that have spoken about this book and how all of them accept this book as one of those things that we have to that we have maybe taken for granted and that we have to spend a lot of time on and we have to value and cherish inshallah and so uh, inshallah what we have in mind just like our Nahjul Balagha commentary, is to cover as much area as we can in regards to the du'as of this book. Um, not to necessarily go very deep, you know. There are very deep, lofty concepts. We will touch on those as much as possible. But at the same time, the point is to try to cover as much area uh, as we can and to try to finish this book if Allah gives, uh, blesses us with a long enough life for that. Um, of course, I'm not infallible. I'll be sharing my own ideas as well. Um, but uh, usually what we're going to be doing is we're going to be referring to some of the main commentaries that we have out there, some of the most important ones that we have out there, if we get stuck in anything, and just all in all for any nice points that are out there. So uh, as I said, I'm not going to be infallible, but inshallah we're going to try to keep things to the basics and try to uncover as much uh, treasure as we can from this book through the commentary that we have inshallah having said all of that uh, in our next session we want to start this book but before we get into the du'as the actual du'as there is the story of where this book actually came from and how it was transmitted initially it's an interesting one and there are some nice lessons and points in that story as well uh, i personally i'm very fond of that of the story and inshallah we will share that with you in our next session. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.